All right, so today um, we're continuing the sermon series on practices within the church. There have been some big, broad ones like service, and then some more specific, general ones like singing. And today we're looking at communion, very, very specific, fine, uh, detailed type of sermon. I, I did a bit of uh, looking back through my Bible college notes um, when preparing for the sermon, and I found an essay I wrote for an assignment, which was uh, interview five people in your church about their understanding of communion, and then explore the Swinglian ver- <laughs> um, understanding of communion based on what they've said. It was very, very uh, interesting, so I decided not to bring any of that to you tonight. <laughs> It was a rather uninteresting uh, theological essay, which is kind of interesting when you're in it, but it's not the sort of thing you want to hear from a sermon. Today is going to be a little bit more practical. Um, And I wanted to start just by looking at the three names here that I could think of for communion. Sometimes it's called communion. Some churches call it the Lord's Supper, and others call it the Eucharist. And there are other names for it as well. But it's got different names, and they capture different aspects, and we'll understand understand them a bit more, hopefully, by the end of today's sermon. So tonight, we are talking about communion. We're continuing our sermon series on the practices of the church, and we're going to take a deep dive into communion, what it means, why we do it. It's something which is a ritual that the church has done for 2,000 years throughout the world, it connects Christian churches over the entire globe. It's a, it's a really important key connection for all churches. We all practice communion and we're all connected by communion. It's not just today that it's done. It's been done since the time of Jesus, since his crucifixion and resurrection. So communion is something really important. It's a ritual that's practiced throughout church history in all churches for the last 2,000 years. There's a really important connection between all the churches in history. And it, it gives us this idea of community. There's also diversity, though, when it comes to communion. It's not just unity. There's diversity. And uh, the names used by different churches even sort of give us some idea of that diversity. There's communion, which is often used in this church, Some churches, though, use the word the Lord's Supper. Others use the word the Eucharist. And so there's there's some diversity within this unity. And the way it's done in individual local churches is different from church to church. And I'm sure you've experienced that. I thought about my own experience growing up in the Anglican church. And each week, we would have unchanging words spoken by the priest out the front. And then we would all take turns to come forward. We would kneel at the front of the church and the priest would hand out bread and an assistant wine in one single cup. We'd all share from the same cup and he would say the same words every week. And then there'd be some background organ music and we'd return to our chairs, our pews and pray in silence, reflecting. And that was the same every week, week in, week out. And then moving to some Baptist churches later in life, including here. 
Each week's a little bit different. Each time it's done, the words of interaction communion change. The location of where we do it changes. Sometimes sitting in the chairs, the, the bread and the wine's brought out. Other times, people come to the front, stand and head back to their seats with, with, with the bread and the wine. So it, it varies from church to church, from week to week. And uh, often, we would eat and drink all at the same time, which is different than my Anglican upbringing, where you'd eat when the priest gave it to you. And then there'd often be no hymns and organ music in the background, no blaring pipe organ, but uh, some quiet contemporary Christian music from a keyboard and guitar. So there's, there's a variety of experiences I've had with communion. Um, what about yours? Who would like to share one of their experiences? Anyone had different experiences with communion they can share? Andrew. Actually, he led the church, but he um, made it like a banquet table. And everyone came around, sat down at the table, all together, and had a meal. Not just a little bit of grape juice and a little piece of bread. Yeah, it was a meal, and it was a lot of fun. That's really cool. I wonder whether that's more how the early church practiced it. And it's how we do every Thursday, good Thursday, good Friday, Thursday, Monday, Thursday, every year. Robin? Quite on the opposite. Um, very casual on a mountainside with crackers and cordial. <laughs> well, bushwalking, brilliant. Yeah, Rachel? Um, I was, did horse riding with a friend back when I was 16 years of age and she went to a Lutheran church and very similar to Graham, they did the whole share the cup thing but I was unaware that it was alcohol so when it got to me I was expecting grape juice and I was like, first of all I didn't like sharing the cup but the whole grape juice thing wasn't a thing there I'm like, oh wow, okay so that was, that was different, yeah Yeah, I remember the first time I had it and oh, this is strong stuff and I didn't like it and then after about three or four months of having it, you, you grow to love it. <laughs> um, one of my friends uh, became a Catholic and um, I sort of went to, um, I was visiting him, I sort of went to his thing and um, I was like, why is this red light on at the front? And he said, oh, that means the priest has blessed it so it's become Jesus' body. So they're like much more literal about it and it's like this little kind of magic red light that tells you whether or not it's holy. And so it was very much about the difference in it being symbolic, a reminder of what Jesus did versus an actual manifestation of something tangible. So that was different. Yeah, very interesting that. We won't delve into that sort of theological point today, but it's one worth thinking about. All right. So the Bible itself has five direct descriptions of communion, one in each of the Gospels and one in Corinthians Thank you, Robin. Chapter 11. I was looking in 12. That's why I couldn't find it. Um, but actually, there are many, many themes and passages and ideas throughout the Bible that connect with communion. And so we're going to read now six or seven of those passages, just one and then the next and then the next. Just let them infuse into you and, and let God's word speak to you and See in your mind, how do they connect to communion? And, and think about that. And that's what we'll explore a little bit as we talk today. Um, put your hands up if you're happy for me to bring the microphone around for you to read one of the passages as it comes up. Perfect. All right. Let's listen. Okay. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, 
who was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. Each family must choose a lamb for a sacrifice. The whole community of Israel must slaughter their lamb at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you. The Israelites said to Moses, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. As they sat down, Jesus took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, 
showing that we are one body. Pretty amazing passages, some of those, aren't they? I'm sure they've got you thinking. You've heard the stories before and um, that they all connect. The Bible is a beautiful, unified whole where everything connects from 2000 BC to 2000 AD. Let me tell you about a story when I was, I don't know, in year four at school. I think I've told this before at church. It's a confession. Um, when I was in year four, a bunch of my friends and I put a tack, a thumbtack, in the bottom of our shoe. And then we went around, it was a really hot day, rubbing that on the ground, getting it even hotter, and then going around to other kids and going on their leg and burning it. Can you believe I did that, mild man and me? <laughs> Unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> Of course, uh, we all got in trouble and I had to go sit on the disgrace bench. (laughs) Man, I was ashamed. My friends didn't seem to be bothered by it, but I was ashamed. But it was easier to sit there because they were there next to me. I did this in a group. I would have never, ever done this on my own. Why do you reckon that is? Because you feel better that other people are getting in trouble, not just you. A kid understands, doesn't she? (laughs) It's easy to do this in a group. It's easier to do something in a group. Because we all actually, it's deeper than just, it's okay to get in trouble in a group. It, It actually is deeper. It's about our need as humans to be part of a bigger whole. Uh, we have a need to connect, don't we? We want to identify as part of a group. To be part of something bigger than ourselves. That's a, a human need. We all have it. And sometimes this, of course, leads us down questionable paths to, you know, putting thumbtacks in our shoes or to some sort of gang or to some sort of cult. Um, On the other hand, God knows this about us and he's actually designed us to be like this. Uh, We're designed to be part of a bigger whole, part of a group. We just don't want to go down that bad pathway. Communion is kind of connected to that whole idea. We take part in communion because we're part of a bigger group. It's a sign of unity, communion. It's, it's a symbol that we're part of a bigger whole, something bigger than ourselves. We're connected to each other. That's what 1 Corinthians 10 says. We who are many are one body. We all share in the one bread. So look around you. People you see here now, take a look. This is your spiritual family. And the thing about family, different from friends, is, is you travel away, you get new friends, you lose your old friends, but you never lose your family. Families are forever. So this is your spiritual family. And families are forever. Oh dear. <laughs> that can be bad sometimes, can't it? But actually... It's a really big worldwide spiritual family, the church. It's not just us, 25 people, 20 people. We've got plenty of brothers and sisters to hang out with for eternity in in our family. Communion is about that. It's about community, and it's actually in the name, communion, community. It's all there in the name itself. Sometimes uh, we're part of a community, but sometimes... Being part of community is not enough. We need to know what, what sort of community we're part of. 
It's one thing to say we're part of a community, but what sort of community are we a part of? Well, we're a community that's actually welcoming God's presence. We're welcome to come to his presence to be at his table. That's quite remarkable because God's holy and we are not. This is a, a passage about God's holiness in Isaiah. I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robes filled the temple. According, uh, attending to him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Then I said, It's over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen God, the Lord Almighty. God's holy and we're not. That's something which is a little bit foreign to us in our current contemporary culture. But his holiness, his awesome, his hugeness was understood by the Old Testament people to mean they couldn't come into his presence. They couldn't be with him. Something holy couldn't be with something unholy. It was too dangerous. Like, um, like lightning, like being in lightning. God's alive, we're dead. That's why it's also remarkable that we can come to his table. God's alive, we're dead in our sins. In uh, Jeremiah, this is what Jeremiah wrote, The Lord is the only true God. He is the living God, the everlasting King. And then in Ezekiel, As surely as I live, says the Sovereign Lord, the person whose sins will die. We have a living God, but we are people, or part of a, a humanity that's dying. And living things can't be in the presence, or dead things can't be in the presence of the alive. It's like, uh, like that satellite map image, which meant to be the Nile. There's all this green that's alive, but we're in that desert. We're the dry bones in the desert. We can't be in the alive presence of God. But somehow, a living God invites us into his presence, even though we were dead, because he makes us truly alive. That's, that's what communion really is about. Dead people coming alive so they can be in the presence of an alive and living God, be at his table. In Exodus 12, remember, this is what God said to the people. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Death will not touch you. That's just what Jesus said in John 6. I'm the living bread. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. God gives us his life. And that's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's about coming into the presence of a living God, being alive with him. It's in the name. Lord's Supper, coming into his presence. All that being the case, what, what's the way to respond to being allowed to come into God's presence, to be at his table? What do you reckon? Um, don't read the bottom half. What's the appropriate emotional response being allowed to come into God's presence. How should we respond to his forgiveness? Being grateful. Definitely. That's probably the key response, isn't it? Gratitude. Being humble. 
recognizing who he is and who we are. Yep, it's a good one. I was looking up YouTube and I was thinking, like you said, being grateful, Steve. I looked up a YouTube thanking someone who saved your life. And this 50-second video clip popped up of a woman whose life was saved on September 11, 2001 in New York. She was in a shop when the building was coming down and she wanted to go outside to get her stuff. And the shopkeeper said, no, you can't, don't walk out that door, don't go out, stay inside, please stay inside. And she tried to go and he held her back and wouldn't let her go outside. Let's see how she responded. Thank you to Simon, by the way, for cutting out the blasphemy that's in this. It's quite chilling, isn't it, how she responded when she realised her life had just been saved. Hmm? That was the, the planes in September 11 into the building. Yeah. Remarkable, though, isn't it? Is that, is that how you feel? Is that how I feel? To know that God has saved our life. Jesus saved our life. That's what communion is about. It's incredible, really, isn't it? Thank God, for he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory over death. The sting of death will not harm us because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And communion reminds us of that. That's what Eucharist actually means. It's a Greek word, which means thanksgiving. Eucharist, it's about thanking God. So, let's finish the sermon and share communion together. Let's do it together. We're in communion. We're in God's presence. Let's share communion in God's presence. It's his supper, the Lord's supper. Let's do it bowing in gratitude. It's a Eucharist. Thanksgiving. So Malcolm and I are going to share communion with you now. We've set it up in a way that you can come forward and kneel at the table. And Malcolm will bring around the bread to each one individually. I'll bring around the wine to each one individually. And uh, take it in your own time. And when you're finished, head on back to the chair. Um... I don't think everyone can fit around that in one go, so just come out one by one when you're ready. But first I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is when Paul wrote about communion and what happened that night. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. 